Well, I want to talk to you today about being led by God's unfailing love. And that whole word phrase there, unfailing love, it just really grips my heart, and I hope that it grips your heart in the same way that it has mine this morning, and the Lord would make this bear witness to you. In Psalm 63, it's, by the way, it's the only passage that I've ever preached twice on at Woodland, or the only sermon I've ever preached twice on at Woodland, because it just happens to be one of my favorite psalms, and a, and a sermon can be preached again just like a song is sang again. And so it's, it's not wrong to do it. It's just there's so much in the Word to preach, and I had an ambition when I was younger that I was going to get to preach on every verse in the Bible, but I have come to terms with the fact that's not going to happen before I go to heaven unless the Lord lets me live to be 130. And that would be okay too. That just means that Jesus wouldn't be coming for another long period of time, and I really want him to come. But in Psalm 63, verse 1, David said these words, and I remember being in Argentina, Badalochi, Argentina, when they just really stood out to me and sharing it with Becky, where the Word of God says, You are my God. Oh Lord, I thirst for you in a dry and a weary land. My flesh thirsts for you, for you are my God. Oh God, you are my God. And over and over, David goes through this in Psalm 63. And as I thought about that and looked at that, I can remember it just as clear as day. I, I talked to a group of students about this in Badaloche, and we were doing school assemblies. We were doing things on campuses. And then I had some kids come and meet me at a, at a civic center, and we sat there, and I talked about that scripture with doctors that we were working with as well. Because we're not used to thinking, or at least I wasn't used to thinking in terms that God belongs to me. I was used to thinking in terms like I am one of his creature, creatures, his creation. I used to thinking in terms that I'm a sheep of his pasture, that God owns me, that God owns everything. And whether people believe in him or not, everybody and the whole world belongs to the Lord. We belong to God and yet that sense that God had given himself to us as well in covenant. When my father passed away, my mother gave me my dad's wedding ring. And I had a man this week walk up to me and ask me, he says, why do you wear two wedding bands? And so I explained to him the first one was my father's, that my mother gave it to me when my dad went to heaven. And I slipped it on my finger on top of my wedding band. And it's not come off since then, except to be cleaned. And the other is the wedding band that Becky gave me, and it's closest to my heart. One reminds me of the covenant my father had with our family. And my dad was a godly man and a good man, a good dad. And so it reminds me of that covenant and the kind of man I want to be. And, of course, the wedding band reminds me of my covenant with my wife and the kind of husband and father I want to be to her. And together, those help me to envision the kind of pastor that I want to be as a church. And of course, when I got done explaining that, the man's eyes had actually misted it up, and he was this big, tall man, and his eyes misted it up with tears, and he said, that's absolutely beautiful. And that's what the covenant that God has made with us is all about, is that God has given himself to us with unfailing love. And in our culture, we're not really used to hearing about unfailing love because love is conditional, love is transactional. So many people have been shattered and hurt by people who promised unfailing love but didn't keep unfailing love and therefore hurt them. So 
you take a little 13-year-old boy that I talk to who says, my dad doesn't love me. And I said, of course your dad loves you. And he goes, oh, it's my fault. It's why my parents divorced. And a little 13-year-old boy feels the responsibility of a mother and father's divorce when it wasn't his fault, but in his mind, there's no reason his dad would have left if it hadn't have been that he was a bratty teenager. And of course, trying to assure them your dad will never stop loving you was kind of difficult to do when the mother was talking about the breach that had been made of unfailing love. And I understand why he was confused. But I want you to know God will never, ever, ever break his covenant of love with you. It's why last year I preached on the promises of God. There are conditional promises, but there are unconditional promises that God has made to us, and this psalm is one of them. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me out of respect and reverence for the Lord, and we're going to go to the book of Psalms this morning. And as a matter of fact, if you don't mind, read with me. Let's read this psalm together. O Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. And all day long I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Can you say amen to that? Let's say that again. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. I think every one of us in here can pray that prayer, and we can also comfort our children as they get older with that same line that God will not remember as we confess our sins to him. So let's read on. David says, do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth, but remember me in the light of your unfailing love. For you are merciful, O Lord. Then the Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who goes astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his demands. For the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, many sins. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. They will live in prosperity. Their children will inherit the land. And the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. And my eyes are always on the Lord for he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. Let's pray. I ask, O Holy Spirit, that you will turn our eyes upon Jesus, who in unfailing love came to save us from our sins, and who for the joy that was set before him endured the agonies of the cross, and now, Lord, has provided his blood for the redemption of our sins, Lord, for him who has made an open spectacle of the devil, and now, Lord, leads us in unfailing love always. So I pray, turn our eyes upon you, Jesus. Help us to see and to perceive and understand 
to be the people that you've called us to be, for it's in Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. For all the years that I've been your pastor, there have been seven characteristics that I have prayed for you, I have preached upon, that I really, truly want for us as a congregation. And when I say I want them, they're biblical. This is what God wants, but it is what my heart has yearned for and beat for and longed for as your pastor. First of all is that we would be a people of prayer, that we learn to express our thoughts to God in prayer. And that we understand that prayer is walking with God and talking with God and communicating just like I would do with any of you here in this room if we were to go for a walk together. Prayer is when we go to God requesting or asking. It's when we ask God for those personal things in our life. It's prayer is when we intercede for others like we did last night. We had 161 people join us for prayer last night, interceding for others, and some of you in this room we were praying for last night. Prayer is when we give praise to God and thank God for what he's done in our lives. Thanksgiving is when we say to God, thank you for who you are and how you love us, and worship is when we just bow in his awesomeness and who he is. Secondly, I've also prayed that you would learn to listen to God's thoughts in the Bible. The Bible is God's voice to us. The Bible is God's thoughts to us. When you open your Bible and you read your Bible, you're reading not just words on a page, but you're reading the very thoughts of God towards you, his love for you, his intention for you. It's God's word for you every single day. It's why I ask you in 301 and 201, excuse me, in 201, I've asked you before, write down a verse every day in your journal. It's why I've preached on journaling before. It says, write a verse, begin with the, the passage name, like Psalm 63, 1, Oh God, you are my God, Psalm 63, 1, because it locks it in your mind, it locks it in your memory, but you're reading God's thoughts to you. God wants you to know that just like my dad belonged to us, I belong to Becky and our family, that there is a covenant that God says, I give myself to you. The communion was a sign of that covenant. You can write down promises. You can write down commands. You can write down prophecies, proverbs. You can write down warnings. As a matter of fact, one time I led a small group study here at the church on how to study your Bible and memorize your Bible. And one of the things I said is maybe take one year and just write down all the promises you read in the Bible. And the next year, just begin to write down the book of Proverbs every single day. Read a proverb every single day and write down one proverb from that chapter that stands out to you or get some help and write down the various prophecies about Christ is coming, about Christ's return, and write those down. And you begin to build up in your mind, you begin to build up the thoughts of God because your pencil sharpens your thoughts. It's a basic, basic thing that we do. And the third thing I've wanted us to be is to be a church of fellowship where we are in fellowship with one another. That common life that we share. The koinonia is the Greek word. Church is not a religious thing that we do. Church is an obedient thing we do. 
It's, we want to be a church built upon small groups, and so we have small groups that meet for breakfast. We have small groups that meet around ministry purposes that they do. We have youth small groups. We have young adult small groups. We have ladies small groups, men's small groups. One of the families in our church just hosted a, a, a Jesus Revolution party. They bought the Jesus Revolution. They invited some of their lost friends to come and watch the movie Jesus Revolution with them, and it was such an exciting time. You see, fellowship with God's people is where we can give and receive encouragement or courage. We encourage one another in the Lord. We give courage to each other. We give honor to one another. Fourthly, I prayed that we would be a church of generosity, that we would learn to give cheerfully, to make room for more in our lives. You know, the more we give, the more God gives back to us. I love how the book of Psalms says, excuse me, that <clears throat> the, the, the Living Bible translates Jesus' words in Matthew 6, give and you will receive and your gift will return to you in full, making room for more. So we bring our tithes, we bring our offerings. It's a principle of the kingdom. But you only get the rewards of giving when you learn the discipline of giving. When you learn to be consistent in your giving, then you begin to experience God's pouring back into your lives. Then I've wanted us to be a church that serves God through serving people. Because if you want to serve God, we have to serve one another. And not just our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we serve the poor, we serve the lost, we serve the hungry. And Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, let your good work shine before people so they can see your Father at work in you and praise your heavenly Father. Do you realize when you serve other people in the name of the Lord, and you, you serve them with kindness, you serve them with patience, you serve them with love. They see Christ at work in you, and they know that there is a God in heaven. And Jesus says they will praise the Lord with you and for you. It's our calling. And then I've wanted us to be a church that brings shalom to others. And the peace of God that passes understanding, or the shalom, it's more than the absence of conflict. It's the health of God. It's the prosperity of God. It's the presence of God. It's the very abundance of God. I didn't have time to share this with the first service, but think of it, when you think of shalom, think of this word, thrive. We know what that word thrive means. We, we know when a field of corn is thriving, it's, it's erect, it's green, it's tossing corn, we can see it thriving. We know when a house plant is thriving. We know when a child is thriving, its cheeks are rosy and it's happy and it's loved and it's cared for. One of Jesus' favorite ways to describe salvation was to tell us about the abundant life or the life of thriving that he gives to you and he gives to me. God intended for life to be good. If you read Genesis, you read constantly this phrase, as God created life, he said, it is good. Whether it was animal life or plant life or the, or the sun and the moon and the stars, it's good. And when he created you, it was very good. And what shalom simply is, and don't miss this, shalom is bringing the holiness of God the very life of God into other people's life. It's bringing life, it's bringing health, it's bringing peace. There is not a problem that God can't conquer. 
There is not a drought that God cannot send the rain. There is not a flood that God can't dry up. There is not a river he can't part. There is not a mountain that God cannot bring down. We just have to put our faith in God. David had a son that he loved. He named him Absalom. The Bible tells us he was an extremely handsome man. The Bible goes into great detail about what a thick, lustrous head of hair that Absalom had. But what you need to know is because we don't think of this, because if you know the story of Absalom and how he tried to destroy his father and he was a deceiver and he was a manipulator, what you may not know is that the name Absalom, Ava Shalom, that's how you say it in Hebrew, Ava Shalom, it means father of peace. It means uh, to have a son that you wanted to bring peace into your kingdom that could rule a kingdom, that could lead a kingdom in peace. But Absalom rebelled against his father because he was unforgiving, he was unrepentant, he was unsubmitted. Friends, hear me today. When we walk in the very holiness of God, when we walk in the shalom of God, we don't bring rebellion, we don't bring division, we don't bring manipulation, but we bring the life and the peace of the Lord. Again, let me read a verse to you that is not in the screen or in your notes, but as I was praying later on this week, I read this in my devotions in Hebrews, and I thought, wow, I've just got to share this. Listen, listen carefully. Now may the God of peace, or God of shalom, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, unfailing love, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will, May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him, all glory to him forever and ever. That's what the peace of God does in our life. So write down Hebrews 13, verse 20 through 21, and go home and meditate on that today. And then finally, I have prayed that we would be a people that share our faith story. We would tell what Jesus did in our lives. And so we tried to teach you how to be able to give your testimony just in an elevator if you have the chance to. Telling, not trying to sledgehammer somebody in the kingdom, not trying to guilt somebody in the kingdom, but just simply tell them what God has done for you and what God is doing in you right now. I had an opportunity just recently in an elevator at a hospital. I guess I got on, I was smiling and, and real big and I was kind of like snarly. He says, what are you smiling so big about? I had my elevator speech ready to go. So I told him how I grew up crippled, how God healed me. And for some reason, I don't always do this. I, I put my fingers in these holes in my side. And I said, you can just put your fingers right here where they held me together. And, and God saved me, forgave me of sins, and healed me. And so I get to pray with people in the hospital that the Lord will save and heal them. Ding, the doors opened up. He could not wait to get out of that box. Now, you don't want to do it like I did, over-enthusiastic, but I just, it was the joy of the Lord was there. But learn so you can share your story. So here's what I'd like you to do with this from the book of Psalms, because as I read this, I just thought, yes, this brings everything together that Becky and I have given our lives to doing. Number one, God teaches those who reverence him. God teaches those who reverence him reverencing God or fearing the Lord is the totality of what it means to serve Jesus. We're not terrified of the Lord because he's angry at us. We're not terrified of the Lord because he wants to stomp us underneath his feet or something. 
but we recognize how awesome and how glorious and how great our God is. And when we come into his presence, we're not coming into the presence of a wimpy God. We're not coming into the presence of an idol, but we're coming into the presence of the great I am who created this entire universe. And boy, we are surrounded by angels. We are surrounded by powers. We are surrounded by more than we would ever dream of. I woke up early one morning this week about 2 o'clock and I reached over and picked up my iPad and switched on my Bible and I began reading from the book of 2 Kings and how that Elisha prayed for his servants to open his eyes and the hills were alive with the angels of God in chariots of fire and I just in the dark with Becky sleeping beside me, I reminded myself there's more to this universe that I can see. God is here. Can you see amen? And that's what I mean by the fear of the Lord, a reverence for the Lord. I'm inspired by God. I'm awed by God. But I am joyful in Him, and I delight in Him because God loves me. He loves you, and He sent Jesus to save us from our sins. Psalms 25 and verse 12 says this, Who are those who fear the Lord? A reverence the Lord, like I just talked about. He will show them the path they should choose. Friends, God will instruct you. God will teach you. And God will do more than give you a map. I need more than a map. And if you're like me, I have gotten so used to using my phone as my GPS. Sometimes I've lost my situational awareness. Used to when I looked at a map, I knew where I was at in relation to other cities and rivers and states. But now I just listen to Siri tell me, turn here, turn here at the next traffic light. And I realize I've lost my essay, as pilots say, or my situational awareness. So I've been looking at maps again. But as I was working on this, I realized God's word is more than a map. The Holy Spirit lives in us. I have a guide in me. And as I begin to think about that, I've had guides in great cities of this world. I've had guides in jungles of this world. I've had guides in the mountains. And, and with a guide, I don't even need a map because the guide is walking with me. The guide is talking to me. He says, you want to see this right here. The guide says, you want to go up this trail right here. Inside the mountains where we, we, we were spelunking, the guide says, watch out because that's not a real floor. That, that's very thin rock, and if you get off the path, you will fall for hundreds and hundreds of feet. And so guides are with us and talking with us, and the Holy Spirit lives within us. He is our guide. We have something better than a map. We have a guide that shows us the glories of God and shows us the places that would cause us to trip up and fall as well. Isn't that good news? So God teaches those who reverence him. Sometimes my guide says to me, you know what, it's time to eat, and I'm always happy about that. Sometimes my guide says, you know what, it's time to sleep, you need to rest. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will say to me, you know what, you need to learn a little more here. And sometimes the Holy Spirit says, don't judge them through your experiences look at where they're at be a man of compassion one time in Kenya my guide said to me he says you look really hungry is there anything you would really like to eat and I said what I always say to you not expecting to cause the ordeal I was going to cause I said you know I would love fried chicken two days later guess what I had I had the scroniest, toughest fried chicken of my life. 
I don't know where they got that chicken, but they fried it and served it to me. I ate it like it was prime rib, friends. I was so thankful, but I realized my guy just wanted to please me and, and to do something for me. Do you know God delights in blessing you? And so your guide lives with you and lives within you. Secondly, God leads the humble. God leads the humble. I learned this lesson in France. You know, people told me when we did our first outreach in France, says French are not going to respond well, they're not going to like you, and they're rude, and they were this and that. We found out they were so kind to us. They were so helpful to us. But I learned it really quickly because of a friend of mine. I, had, I always buy a, a, a Bengali English dictionary or, or buy a, a Spanish English dictionary because I want to learn a few words. I had bought a French English dictionary, and I pulled it out of my backpack, and he says, put that away. I said, really? He goes, the French hate it when Americans try to speak the language and butcher their language. Just ask for help. And you know what I found out? People were so willing to help. People were so willing to come along and be a part of our team and wherever we went. And so what I learned was if I would humble myself, they would talk to me. If you've ever watched My Fair Lady, you remember Henry Higgins saying this, the French don't care what they do actually as long as they pronounce it properly. I have never met a group of people more proud of their language than the French. Look at Psalms 25 and verse 9. He leads the humble in doing right and teaching them his way. So saturate yourself with the word of God, and God will show you right from wrong. God will guide you in your path. God will even help you to distinguish in those different shady areas of gray. And then thirdly, I would say from this psalm, relax. Relax. God is your friend. He is a friend to those who reverence him. If you have to turn around and look over your shoulder, look at somebody and just say, go ahead and relax. Debbie, relax. Jenna, relax this morning. I want you to relax, Daryl Lynn. God likes you. I want you to relax today. God loves you. He is a friend to those. Why can you relax in the presence of God? Pastor, didn't you just tell us that we, we reverence him, we fear him, but God puts us at ease because we know that his ways are ways, listen, of unfailing love and faithfulness. You can trust his promptings. You can trust your thoughts as you saturate yourself with the word of God. You can trust when God is speaking to you and giving you inspiration. You can trust and distinguish the difference between the voice of God, which is inspiring, and the voice of the devil, which is tempting. I was listening to one of the newscasts this week, and they were talking about Pat Robertson, who passed away this week at 93 years old. And I listened to the newscaster say, Pat Robertson at times would say God had spoke to him. And it was kind of like, you know, weird. And I thought, it's only weird because you don't know the voice of the Lord. It's only weird because you haven't saturated yourself with the mind of God. And they brought out the fact in mocking that Pat Robertson prayed against a hurricane. Friends, I have prayed against hurricanes, tornadoes, and snakes, and everything else. It's not wrong to pray that God protects us from those kinds of storms. I know someone very intimately that I respect very much who stood up in the middle of a boat in a storm and spoke to it, and it stilled, and his name is Jesus. 
And so I have no problems asking Jesus to steal the storms in my life. Psalms 25 and verse 14 says, The Lord is a friend to those who fear them. He teaches them his covenant. So, Pastor, what is the balance of that? The balance is simply this. I never allow my feelings. Listen, listen, this is important. I never allow my feelings to overrule what the Word of God says. I never allow my feelings to overrule good judgment that is informed by the Word of God. And I never allow my feelings to overrule the wisdom from the Word of God. What I have learned as I've listened to God's Word is that the Word of God does exactly what it says it will do. God's Word builds our faith. For faith comes by hearing <clears throat> and hearing by the Word of the Lord. Fear kills people. Faith saves people. Fear burns bridges and destroys bridges. Faith builds bridges into other people's lives. Fear defines itself by what it's against, and our faith defines itself by what it's for in life. God is for us and not against us. Fear weakens our heart muscles. Faith strengthens our heart muscles. Fear causes us to ghetto away into little Christian communes because we're afraid of the world. Faith says that we believe the words of Jesus, that we're the salt and the light of this world, and we pierce the darkness, and we salt the community, and we bring out the God flavors of who Jesus Christ really is. That's what faith does in our life. Friends, I want you to know today, I want to build a marriage of faith. I want to build a home of faith. I want a church of faith. I want a community of faith. And you have a choice to make. Will you build a house of faith or will you build a house of fear? And I think I know the answer to that, and that's why you're here. And then finally this morning, David acknowledges his grief. Never be afraid to acknowledge the grief that you experience in life. Psalms 25 and verse 17 says, my problems go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from them all. How many of you, you'd be like me, you've been through times in life where your experience has been, Lord, my problems are going from bad to worse. Have you ever had that experience? Just a couple of us, most of us, I think, in here. My problems are going from bad to worse. And David acknowledges that. He acknowledges the grief. He he's reminding himself of the unfailing love of God. He's reminding himself of the power of God. He's reminding himself of the community of faith. You see, friends, where there's loss, there's pain. Where there's hurt, there's grief. And sometimes what we have to understand is grief. Now listen, this is important. Grief is how we get through those transitional moments of life. I'm glad that I grieved my father. I'm glad that I grieve people that I miss here in this congregation that I buried because grief tells me that I love them. Grief helps me to process not only the pain and the absence that they've left in my heart, whether family members or parts of our church, we just had another close friend just pass away and go to heaven. Grief hits us hard, and it hurts, but it reminds us of the hope that we have in Jesus. And I've sat with people in our church who've lost a child. 
I've sat with people in our church. I'm sitting with people in our church now who've lost a spouse or a, or, or, or a parent, and there's this grief that they're facing and they're dealing with. But one of the things that I share with them is grief is that transitional moment. We will get through this valley of the shadow of death because God is faithful. God will lead us through. Grief will not kill us. Grief will not destroy us. We will walk through this valley. We will acknowledge the pain that we're in. But when we get on the other side, we will come through victorious. We will come through healed. We will come through with a plan from God. We will come through with purpose and the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Because God is working in our lives daily. We are not prisoners of what happened in the past. We are messengers for the future that God has called us to share his good news. That Jesus never, never changes. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. And the very last thing I want to say to you watching online, to all of us here, sometimes as believers we just have to do this one more time. Give your life completely to God. It's interesting to me, and I wanted to save it to the last, that David opened this powerful psalm by saying these words, O Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Psalms 25.1. And I wonder if we could just Pray that together out loud. You can look at the screen, but just say it with me. Oh, Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Now, don't miss this because you're too smart for your britches and say, oh, I've already given my life to God. I don't need to say that. Well, there are times in marriage and friendship in communities where we have to remind ourselves because the natural fallen tendency of people that we struggle with is to keep something back. In holiness, I always find myself praying, Lord, overcome everything that's evil within me. Have you ever been there? Just say, Lord, you know, you've had thoughts, you've had jealousy, you've had anger. Oh, God, overcome everything evil in me. But too many times I find myself wanting God to do what I want him to do rather than what he wants to do in my life. And that's when you know you're beginning to pull back from God. It happens in marriages. It happens with children. It happens in careers and vocations. So David says, oh God, I give myself to you. So would you bow your head with me? And if you're watching online, you can pray this prayer with me. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus, and today you can do that. You can accept what he did for you at Calvary, that he forgave your sins, that he loves you. God's not angry at you. But friend, one day you're going to meet him, and you'll be so glad that you've committed your life to him. So this God who loves you invites you today to accept his offer of forgiveness. So why don't you pray this prayer with me? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins. I yield my life to you completely. 
I give myself to you as you gave yourself for me. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen and amen. Now I want you to read one more verse with me, and I'm going to warn you it's from the King James Version of the Bible because sometimes there's some verses, they just sound better to me in King James. But this verse you're going to read, its equivalent is in Romans chapter 8 where God says he'll make everything work for your good and for his glory. But you're going to love this. From the book of Psalms chapter 57 and verse 2, unto God that performeth all things for me. Would you say that with me? Unto God that performeth all things for me. Jerry, God is performing things for you. He's working in your life today. <laughs> God is working in your life, Barb. He's performing things. I mean, sometimes evil things happen in our life like they happened to Joseph, but God causes all those things. He performs them, makes them work. And you know what? When I look at that, that is so personal. Whether you or I believe it or not, David believed it, and he says, for me. As a matter of fact, I believe it today. Let's say it one more time. Unto God, who performeth all things for me. Psalm 57, verse 2. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord watch over you. May everything you do prosper. May he cause the things you lay your hands to to prosper. May he cause your conversations to be fruitful. And may God bring the mountains down and exalt the valleys before you. Go in peace today in Jesus' name.